This is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favourite shows and this is one we think you're going to love. Who exploded Vivian Stone? Was it Screen Hunk McSalad? Mother's Digest called me dependably erotic. Leading Lady Joanna Shoebags. Oh, you call me dramatic again, I will die! First-time director Wallace Byrne Matravers. I think I'll just keep my clothes on for now. Assistant director Laura Side Salad. If I can help you direct this film, I can certainly help direct your winkle. Technician James Wiggington. You've got a funny way of addressing a man holding a power drill. Or someone else entirely. Listen in to find out... Who exploded Vivian Stone? Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from the UK and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everyone and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen and with me is... Devendra Hardwar. And joining us today uh, is not Jeff Kanata. Jeff Kanata couldn't make it today, guys. Huge bummer. He's off uh, covering an event at Oracle. Fortunately, we were able to get someone to step into the new dad co-host slot on the Slash Filmcast. Matt Singer is the editor-in-chief at ScreenCrush.com. Matt Singer, thanks so much for joining us today on the Slash Filmcast. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. Uh, great to have you. And uh, yeah, today on the Slash Filmcast, we're going to do Slash Film Court, uh, in which we adjudicate your movie-related dilemmas, uh, move on into what we've been watching, and then conclude with an in-depth review. This week, we're going to be reviewing Blair Witch, the new film by Adam Wingard. Uh, so you can find more episodes of our podcast at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. Uh, and let's get into the show, ladies and gentlemen. Firstly, I would be remiss if I did not mention that uh, on last week's episode of the Slash Filmcast, I went off on an extended rant against a local ice cream uh, shop called what Shelby. What happened while I was away? <laughs> called what? Shelby's. And uh, <laughs> to, to make a long story short, uh, they refused to sell me a kid's cone, like a kid-sized <laughs> cone. And uh, I, I, Dave, your you know, life is a curb your enthusiasm. I went off episode. like with violent enthusiasm against them. <laughs> Uh, on last week's episode of the podcast, and I got maybe 50 tweets this week telling me that that exact scenario played out in the third episode of Atlanta, the new Don Glover uh, series on FX, yes. where Don Glover enters a, uh, a store and tries to order the kid's meal, uh, only to have it told to him that he is not allowed to order a kid's meal. Uh, and then he is, manages to take his own revenge on that story in question. Um, so I'd like to think that that is proof yet again that the Slash Filmcast is on the cutting edge of popular culture, particularly when we complain about things like uh, Avatar and, and Kids Cones. So, um, Thanks for having me on the Ice Cream Cast. I'm really <laughs> happy to be here. When are we talking about what we've been eating this week? <laughs> that is uh, going to be the, the topic of my next podcast, Matt Singer. Mm-hmm. But uh, okay. Matt Singer, I do want you to weigh in on this week's Slash Film Court. So again, you can always email your Slash Film Court dilemmas to slashfilmcast at gmail.com. 
And this email comes in – oh, I'm not supposed to say who it comes in from because uh, – well, for reasons that will become obvious as usual. But uh, this email comes in to slash filmcast.gmail.com. This pickle may concern only press members, but I think it's still an important topic of discussion. I got this friend, and it's not a bluff type of thing, as in like what this person is saying is that this person is actually a friend and not himself. He gets access to review Blu-ray and DVD copies of movies from a number of studios, as do I. The difference is I actually do my part and review the films. He, on the other hand, does no such thing. He even reaches out to reps to cover films knowing he's not going to review the films. What does he do with the films? Just as you may have suspected, he keeps them without reviewing them or sells them on eBay and pockets the cash. Make no mistake, this is unquestionably wrong. It's a privilege that we receive these films, same with attending screenings, and we shouldn't abuse our title as such. However, how how does one go about handling this? Do I keep my mouth shut? Do I say something to the reps? He's a pretty stand-up guy, all things considered, but this is the one thing that makes me feel uneasy. What is your advice on how to handle the matter? So this slash film court email uh, is... Atypical because it only really concerns press, but it's kind of a thing where like, hey, your friend right, yeah. stole a ream of paper from the office. You know, like, mm-hmm. how do you handle that situation? Do you tell on him? Uh, and in, in our situation, uh, film critics, we often receive movies and DVDs for free from people who want us to review them, talk about them. Uh, and this person has a film critic friend who is not talking about them, who is not reviewing them, who is not writing about them, not even tweeting about them. He's just keeping them or selling them on eBay. Yeah which is a pretty deplorable action. Now, I actually already got some market research on this slash film court dilemma. <laughs> I tweeted this out, and I got a couple dozen film critic uh, people tweeting back at me saying, mind your own business. Leave this person alone. Uh, the publicist can handle their own situation. Matt Singer, you are a film critic. You, you are a film critic by trade. Uh, you do it full time, unlike us. How would you handle this situation if you had a friend who was uh, brazenly abusing the system? I would say mind your own business. The publicists <laughs> can handle their situation. What, what, what else did you say that you got on Twitter? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's about right. So why, why would you say it that way? Why would you say, like, hey, you can handle it. They, they can handle well, it themselves. I mean, I do think it's pretty, it's pretty slimy and sleazy if this person is asking specifically. Not, they're not just sending them. Uh, the DVDs or Blu-rays or whatever, but they're actually requesting them and then receiving them and then immediately um, selling them yeah, on eBay. That's, that's pretty. It's pretty bad. It's pretty that's bad. pretty bad. No doubt about it. However, um, you know, like the publicists are, like it is their job to determine who deserves these screener copies, who they want to send them to, and presumably it's their also it's also their job to ensure that there's coverage being done and. Yeah, it's, it's your job to keep track of whether or right. not coverage is actually right. happening. Yeah, and I would if I was a publicist and I consistently sent uh, screeners to person X, person X never <laughs> reviewed them, never tweeted them, never did anything about them, um, and I found out that they were, you know, forget about the selling part, but if they were just not covering them at all, they, you know, I might eventually uh, just stop sending them. Like that's you know, and that's that's the publicist's job. I mean. Uh, I can see an, an a use of sending these people uh, or this person these these uh, screeners, for, uh, assuming they're not selling them, because that's really beyond the pale. But yes, just because yes. you send someone something doesn't mean that they have to review it or tweet about it instantly. I mean, 
you could send it, send them a, a Blu-ray today, and at the end of the year, it might show up on their top ten list. You right, know, right. or you know, or it's just general background. It's part of being a critic is watching everything you can. So I wouldn't necessarily expect someone um, to cover every single thing I sent them if I was a publicist, unless they very specifically said, I am going to do this. I am going to write X interview. I'm going to write Y review or whatever. If that doesn't happen, then I might be really upset. And again, if I found out that they were just not doing anything and immediately selling them without even watching them, that would definitely be upsetting to me as a publicist. But as a critic, I would just write uh, – m- my reaction is just jealousy. It's like, well, it sucks that this person is getting away with it and I can't, but I don't really feel like it would be my place to rat them out. Yeah. Uh, basically, by ratting them out, you're, you're almost kind of impugning the skills of the publicist, right? Like you're saying to the publicist, like, hey, you can't do your job right, so I'm giving you this information to like, help you that. do your job. That, that seems going a step too far. But, well, but, okay. but the publicist should theoretically know. They, that they the, don't always know somebody will start selling something. Okay, yeah, that, that part is true. But Devendra, what say you on yeah. this case? I mean, yeah, th- this all sounds about right. Although I have talked to people in the tech world as well who kind of do similar things. Um, there is never a guarantee of coverage whenever press gets anything, be it a movie or a, a gadget or something. Um, selling it is definitely wrong, but I've definitely told people, like, you are making life harder for the rest of us by doing this because it's hard enough sometimes to get coverage for smaller sites. Uh, I'm lucky enough to be working, like, a pretty big one now, but when I was at a smaller tech site, I had to beg and plead to get anything. And if people were pulling this crap, you know, at other small sites like that, that makes the situation worse for everybody. But, yeah, I guess at the end of the day, you can't really do much. You can't really tell the publicist either because that won't really help. I think we all agree. Don't tell the publicist. But I would say to this uh, writer that he should confront his friend about it. Yeah. Uh, Shame Bell. Yeah. Shame shame your friend. Just go to your friend. Shame them for doing this horrible thing. And see if your friendship survives. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, that's that's our recommendation. Don't not all don't, friendships don't, are yeah. meant to survive. Not there all friendships go. are they're very good, Devendra. Thank you for saying that. Um, but yeah, shame your friend. Confront them. Tell, tell them they're doing a bad thing. They're making things harder and more difficult for everyone. Uh, but beyond that, no need to actually like try and make their life more difficult. So, mm-hmm. uh, the slash home court has ruled. That is uh, our final uh, statement yes. on the matter. Let's get into what we've been watching. And uh, this week, I have been watching just one thing I wanted to mention real quick. Uh, I got to see Maria Bamford last night in person. Nice. Uh, I was, it's crazy because I was watching Lady Dynamite earlier the day, and uh, I'm almost done with that show, and I, I really enjoy it. It's, it's okay. getting yeah. more and more weird as the episodes go on, uh, and I really, I really like it. Uh, I don't think it's for everyone, but I'm, I'm a huge fan. And... Uh, uh, Maria Bedford, in my opinion, is one of the best comics alive today. Uh, her her comedy is like very surreal. I feel like I, I have to work when I go see her comedy, but I don't think that's a bad thing. Like I, I just need to keep track of like who all these characters that she's doing are, and and I dig it, and I think she's in- enormously talented. So just wanted to give a shout out to Maria Bamford at the Moore Theater. It is crazy to be watching her on the TV, and then hours later, she's you know twenty feet in front of me. <laughs> Crazy stuff. Our modern and, world, yeah. And, uh, you know, I debated a lot whether I was going to bring this up today, guys. But uh, I think I have to. Uh, and <laughs> Maria Bamford opened her set with a uh, very lengthy joke about Warhorse, the Steven Spielberg film. Yes! <laughs> and for those who don't know the history, the history of this, I rated Warhorse as my 
number one film of 2011 uh, in the Slash Filmcast. And it, it, is, something, it is something yeah. that Matt Singer has tormented me about <laughs> on an almost daily basis since, since then. Uh, I, 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 tor- torment is a strong it, – it, it is the exactly appropriate word for – ridicule? <laughs> <laughs> We're like literally. I will make a tweet about something completely random, like just not uh, having to do with movies at all. Like, oh, uh, you know, uh, just went to see this U two concert or whatever. And Matt Singer will find a way to tie it to Warhorse in his tweet reply to me, uh, in a way that's very, uh, very infuriating and has uh, has definitely tested the limits of my patience over the last five years. Um, but uh, she she started she started by saying like hey uh, you know I'm I'm not I'm gonna do a crap job of imitating Maria Bamford uh, but basically she said you know this is like very risky like if you brought your friends to the show it's very risky uh, because sometimes people can bring you things bring you to things uh, that you're not prepared for example uh, my parents uh, once brought me to a Steven Spielberg movie and I thought to myself oh hey. Uh, of course I'm going to enjoy this. I mean, you are people who love me and don't want me to suffer. So then I saw War Horse, which is a real-time 14-hour-long documentary about a horse <laughs> trying to untangle itself from barbed wire. <laughs> and then you resp- and then from the from somewhere in the audience, a single voice shouted, "No!" That's right. Anyway, I uh, you know, against my better judgment, Matt, I thought of you when uh, when that happened. They actually uh, communicated like that. That was all planned. <laughs> Matt Singer sent you an email. It would really be great if you could get in a dig for Warhorse at this show that Dave Chen's going to. Yeah. Um, so, Matt Singer, uh, you were recently at the Toronto International Film Festival, and a, a film festival that I've always wanted to go to. Maybe I will next year. We'll see. Festival uh, of Warhorsey in proportions. <sighs> Anyway, was wondering if you could just talk briefly about uh, the best films that you saw, you know, the biggest surprises, and also um, uh, biggest disappointment. I have a feeling that the latter is going to be Reassignment, the new film by Walter Hill, but uh, I'll leave it to you to tell us uh, about your highlights from TIFF. Uh, yeah, that could be up there in terms of disappointments. I actually think our featured review uh, this week oh, may wow. also include a big disappointment. Uh, I guess I don't want to spoil that for later, but uh, <laughs> I did see Blair Witch at the festival, so so there you go. Um, where do you want to start? What do you want to start with? Best film you saw at the, at the film festival? My favorite film that I saw was La La Land, the new musical from Damien Chazelle, the filmmaker of... Uh, Whiplash, which was one of my favorite movies from a couple of years ago. Uh, I loved that movie. This movie is it's it's very different. It's a lot more it's a lot closer to this little movie he made before Whiplash called Guy and Madeline on a Park Bench, which mm. not a lot of people have seen, but is like this very kind of indie lo-fi musical where it's about this uh couple and Occasionally, the characters will just like sort of burst into song. One of the characters is a jazz musician, which is almost the exact same premise of La La Land. It's it's basically Guy Medellin on a park bench on a much bigger budget, uh, where you have Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. They're falling in love in Los Angeles, and there's original songs, which are really wonderful, and there's choreography, and the cinematography is beautiful, and it's uh, it's just fantastic. It's a, it's a kind of an, a modern update of a really old-fashioned musical 
I found it incredibly charming. And did you did you cry tears of joy during this movie, Matt Singer? I don't. I didn't cry. I, I've heard that this movie has really moved people. La La Land. Certain, about. It is a very moving movie, and the ending is really awesome. Obviously, I won't spoil it, but in the same way that Whiplash, I thought, had an incredible ending. Oh, so good. Yeah. Uh, I feel like this movie also has an ending that can knock you for a loop, for nice, sure. Nice, nice. Uh, Damien really Chazelle proving that the universe is unfair, and someone who's 31 years old should not be able to make something of that yeah. high quality, but yet still is able to anyway. So so damn good. I yeah. mean, let's not forget yeah. writing Grand Piano as well. Like, yeah, one of the one of the most talented filmmakers alive today, uh, and I can't wait to see La La Land myself. Mm-hmm. So uh, really looking forward to that. Uh, anything else that you thought was what's the runner up to La La Land, Matt Singer? The runner up would probably be this little movie. I mean, I guess it's actually not that little. It's it's got a it's got a decent sized cast and some good effects and stuff. It's a movie that I probably would also count as like my biggest. Like most pleasant surprise because I I wasn't even planning on attending it. It just a, a colleague mentioned it, and I I didn't really even have the movie on my radar. And I had a hole in my schedule, and I went to see it, and it really knocked me knocked me for a loop. I really liked this movie. It was called The Girl with All the Gifts. Hmm. It hmm. is a zombie movie um, with a, some significant twists. It's uh, based on a book, right? It's based on a book, maybe a young adult book. I didn't even dis- – I had no idea at the time when I saw it, but it's actually based on a book by this guy. I think he's credited as like M.R. Carey uh, in the film and on the book, but he's actually a comic book writer that I've uh, read many comic books by, this guy Mike Carey. Very talented guy. I had no idea he wrote this book. I didn't – I'd never heard of the book, um, uh, and I was just – when after, after the fact, when I was looking up you know the project. I was like, "Oh man, it was written by Mike Carey, who's a you know he's written he wrote Hellblazer for a long time. He wrote Lucifer. He's written X Men comics. Like he's just the guy that I've read a lot of comics by, and I had no idea that he also wrote um, novels, including the source material for this. Um, I don't know how much would be a uh, like. I'm trying to think what is okay to say. Spoiler. Well, just I mean, you enjoyed the film, right? So I really uh, enjoyed the and- film. In broad strokes, it is a it's a zombie movie. And it, it does kind of hit all of the, a lot of the beats of a typical zombie movie, but the main character is this young girl um, who gives an incredible performance. Uh, I think she's made like one other movie before. Um, Glenn Close is also in it. Patty Considine is in it. Gemma Arterton are in it. They're sort of the the main adult cast. Um, but it's it, it 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 is both a scary horror movie and also a it has some. Some loftier, you know, sort of intellectual aspirations, which I enjoyed in terms of asking questions about, like, who deserves to live and who deserves to die? And if a zombie has feelings and emotions, is it a creature? Should it be put to death? Or does it deserve to live right. just like anyone else, even if it eats, it eats human flesh? Uh, <laughs> That has always bothered me, you know. Uh, firstly, again, the movie is The Girl with All the Gifts, and I'm guessing it's going to get a, a release later this year, right? Um, I, you know, I don't know. It, I, maybe next year. I have. I honestly don't know. I'm not even sure if it has an American distributor. I mm. think it comes out in England because it's, you know, it's a mostly English cast, and and I think it's coming out in England like in this month, maybe later this month. But I really don't know anything about when you can expect to see it in America. I would assume just because of the cast, it it. It will come out at some point, but I yeah, don't, and I gotta imagine it will because uh, it's it's a best-selling novel as well. So uh, that alone will probably be enough to get a distribution. But um, 
Yeah, that's always. Anyways, that's always bothered me. You know, uh, when you watch like Twenty Eight Days Later or whatever, and uh, they're they're all all trying to prevent themselves from getting infected with the rage virus, right? Because the the conceit of every single zombie movie. Is that Not every single one, Dave? Is that be- oh yeah? Most zombie movies is that yeah. becoming a zombie is the worst thing possible. <laughs> that like there's it's worse than death. Like you'd rather be yes, dead yes. than well, like you are undead than yes. be infected with the rage virus or whatever. Uh, what if what if being a zombie is amazing? Like what if it feels spectacular? <laughs> you know, like it's like what if it's like you know ecstasy at all times that you're you know eating people's flesh and might, might um, i recommend i zombie to you dave because i think you would uh, <laughs> you'd enjoy some of that i will but even I will, some of the later romero films kind of dealt with the the idea of zombie identity too yeah yeah so it sounds like this movie does it in a cool way so that's the girl with all the gifts um i do have like a couple of of random movies i just want to ask you about matt okay. singer uh maybe just give a thumbs up or thumbs down uh, <laughs> but did you see headshot the new film by Timo I did not see Headshot. Uh, okay, Eco Eco Uwes, right, is uh, yep. the star of that film, and I believe Timo actually listens to the Slash Filmcast, so I'm really looking forward to checking that out. Did you see the new Brie Larson film, uh, the Free action? Fire? Yeah, Free Fire. That that yes, I did see Free. Had Fire. a lot of buzz at the festival as well, right? So, uh, uh, were you, I forget? Were you like one of the few people that didn't like it? Is that right? Or I was, I was one of the few people. But like everyone seemed to really enjoy uh, Free Fire, which was I think. The new film by uh, Ben Wheatley, Wheatley, right? Yeah, yeah, and Brie Larson is in it. Although she doesn't, even though she's, I guess, maybe top billed and sort of is the person in all the, you know, in all the press photos and everything. I felt like her role was pretty small, and uh, she didn't have a lot to do. I was pretty disappointed because I'm a huge uh, Brie Larson fan. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to people going to see it for her. It's basically a 90 minute shootout. Like it's it, there's maybe ten fifteen minutes of setup, and then it is all just this endless endless sort of slapsticky gun battle where there there's this uh, arms deal that goes wrong in a warehouse, and the rest of the movie is the people on the different sides of this arms deal just shooting at one another, and it has some nice moments, um, and it has a very good cast. It also has um, Killian Murphy and Army Hammer, Charlotte Copley, who I can. It sometimes gets on my nerves. I thought he was actually really good in it. Uh, probably his best performance in years and years. Uh, Sam Riley is in it. Noah Taylor is in it. Jack Rayner. So it has an incredible cast. To me, I mean, it is it is by design very one note. And I just found that after, you know, like 30, 40 minutes, I, I got it. And it just kept going for another hour <laughs> after that. So you have to. I mean, it's I, just one long shootout, right? Basically, yeah. Which sounds fantastic. Yeah, that sounds yeah, awesome, Matt Singer. That sounds, if that sounds like your speed, then certainly <laughs> one to check out. To me, and I, 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 I thought it would. Uh, you know, obviously, I went to see it. I, I was hoping it would be mm-hmm. up my alley, but I just, I, to me, it was just like it was a shootout, but very. Re- it was just so repetitive. Like it's not like it's. Yeah. There's no Ben Wheatley. That very, that is the point, Matt. It is. Yeah. It is certainly the point. I mean, <laughs> for sure. Uh, I think it's trying to. Say something about gun culture and mm. um, you know gun violence and the you know perhaps the, uh, the the intellectual levels of the people who are so obsessed with these guns. But I just felt like if it is about that, I I got that yeah. within yeah. thirty forty minutes, and then the movie just kept going on and on and on yeah. and on. We yeah. we were kind of mixed on high rise, and I, like Wheatley is just kind of the guy who's yeah. like he has big ideas, but executing them sometimes is tough. 
Yeah, uh, and I I personally find I think just to my taste level, I think his more his darker movies, his more serious movies, I think are more to my my taste. Um, sometimes I feel like when he goes for comedy, like he just does it by going overboard and just it's it's which is very much true here. I mean, this is sort of a very dark comedy with a lot of uh, kind of one-liners and and it's it's almost like a Looney Tunes cartoon for 90 minutes where the roadrunner keeps getting keeps getting Wiley e. Coyote over and over again. He keeps falling off the same cliff 100 times in mm. 90 minutes. So, you know, if that sounds like uh, your thing, you will probably enjoy it. I I was I was a little underwhelmed by that one. I want to ask you about one more specific film and then uh want to see what your worst or most disappointing film of the fest was, but um Moonlight. A lot of uh buzz for this movie by Barry Jenkins. Uh what did you think of Moonlight? Do you have a chance to see that movie? I did. I, yeah, I loved Moonlight. That would probably be like my number th- my number three film after La La Land and The Girl with All the Gifts. I thought that was really uh, wonderful. Probably the best acting of any movie that I saw at the festival. Awesome. Uh, just really beautiful and an incredible portrait of this uh, this kid growing up. Uh, this um, sort of. You know, he's, he, it's basically um, the same young man at three different stages of his life, played by three different actors. And um, the, 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 first, the first youngest kid to play him is totally fine, and that section is fine. But the second and third sections, the, the men who play the main character, just incredible. Like, both of those performances, I thought, were absolutely um, just mind-bogglingly good and very, very overwhelming. And the movie kind of starts slowly, um, and it just sort of builds and builds and builds and, and until by the end of the movie it is kind of – it really is sort of like a, a real gut punch in a good way, like just this very powerful portrait of, you know, sort of like a – what it means to be – to have an identity and to struggle with that identity because of where you live, your, your, you know, the society you grow up in, um, this kid who is gay but is you know, in this very masculine, very macho culture is picked on because he's shy and different and we see how he kind of responds to that and uh, you know, that it, it could be a very sort of heavy and dark film but it, it addresses all those heavy, serious issues, but in a way that that you know has a little bit of a hopefulness to it by the end of it, which is which is nice too. Cool. So you're basically top three, uh, going upwards: Moonlight, Girl with All the Gifts, and La La Land. Uh, yeah. What was uh, the worst movie you saw, or the most disappointing film? The worst movie I saw, which I don't know that I was also the most disappointing, although it was pretty disappointing, was the this film American Pastoral, which is oh the, the Ewan McGregor movie, right? Yes, it's the directorial debut of Ewan McGregor. It is it is a, a total. It was just a total disaster. Uh, <laughs> that is, it's based on a novel, a very famous novel by Philip Roth, which I haven't read, so I can't compare it to. The novel, but watching the movie made me go. This 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 material is considered part of a great classic American novel. How is that possible? Because the movie was just so so horrible. Um, and I mean, maybe what it is is it's just a you know a great, rich, incredibly complicated novel that gets boiled down to a very simplistic uh, film. Because that that's basically what it is mm-hmm. and ewan mcgregor is the main character he's playing a uh this like he's this jewish 
guy and you know in the 60s he has like what seems like the perfect life and it all slowly falls apart jennifer connelly is his wife who's like a former beauty queen dakota fanning plays his daughter who has a stutter uh and then maybe is a domestic terrorist um and then there's like she disappears and it's sort of he kind of has he's trying to find her I, I, I was, it's, 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 it's just a mess. It's a total mess. Uh, I mean, Ewan McGregor, as an actor that I like in certain roles, I often find that his weakest roles are the ones where he plays Americans and has to use an American accent. I don't think he's always very convincing in those roles. Here, he's not only playing American, he's playing like a Jewish guy from the New York area. Uh, so that's a problem. He's not very convincing. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't cast myself as like a Scottish guy, you know, cause that would be, I don't think that would work out well, but whatever he, he, and his directing choices, they're just, it's, it's not great. I mean, I think that at some point down the line, Ewan McGregor could be a very talented director. I think he may have bitten off more than he could chew with this. Right. This is, seems like it was a very ambitious uh, project. I will say that Dakota Fanning gives a, a good performance. Um, so if there's one like sort of positive takeaway uh, from Ewan McGregor as a director, it's that he cast the movie relatively well. Maybe not him so much, but I mean like David Strathairn is in it, Uzo Duba is in it, Peter Riegert is actually really good in a small role as um, Ewan McGregor's father. He has a couple of really funny lines. He's sort of charming. But uh, yeah, this one was rough. I was I was I was praying for it to end by uh, by a certain point. I was just uh, could not wait for to get out of the theater. I think the the tweet responses to that movie is probably my favorite part of TIFF. Just like Bo- everyone brutal. has their own way. Yeah, brutal. Yeah, like I was, I saw the reviews coming out. It was very bad. Yeah, I did not review it because I just didn't see. I had others talk about. I just see the point. Yeah, I just I don't know. Well, it's because yeah, I mean it's an indie film, right? I mean, like, yes, it has a, a release date and a distributor, so I'm I sure people, yeah. I will review it at some point. But um, yeah, I mean, people who have read the book, who then saw the movie, most of them did not have anything positive to say about it either. It, it does sound from talking to them and reading about the book that. There is, it may, he made a few sort of catastrophic errors in the ways in which he went about adapting it in terms of the things he chose to show and the things he chose not to show. Um, it stays somewhat faithful to the book, but also it's sort of like unfaithful by omissions, basically, that the things that they took out really kind of hurt the movie. And just the fact that it's all – the whole movie is one very long flashback, basically – um, it's it's basically the brother of Ewan McGregor's character explaining to um, the character who is essentially the stand-in in the novel, the stand-in for Philip Roth, who's played in the film by David Strathairn, basically explaining what happened in Ewan McGregor's life. Like, he hasn't heard what happened. Did you hear about what happened to the Swede, which is Ewan McGregor's character? And then he goes about explaining the whole thing. The the always incredibly necessary bookend sequence. Right. In, the bookend uh, <laughs> right. In the movie the bookend sequence is completely unnecessary. Yeah. And actually kind of d- defeating in a way because you have this one it, it doesn't really make any sense because you have this character, the brother character explaining everything. The brother character is in maybe two scenes of the flashbacks. So you're like, yeah, how does he know all of these things that he's not present for?" And then at the end of the movie when we finally return to the present, the present of the film at least, 
the, the characters are not even talking to one another. In fact, they we pick up with David Strathairn is like leaving this high school reunion where they bumped into each other, and he sees the brother character and shakes his hand and like leaves. And it's like the last time we saw you guys, you were talking to one another. Everything we were seeing was supposedly a conversation between the <laughs> two of you. So at some point, I guess we went off on, an, on our own adventure in in watching this terrible flashback. Okay, fine. Uh, just just not good. Uh, Variety's Andrew Barker says the film is as flat and strangled as Philip Roth's novel is furious and expansive, end quote. Yeah, Uh, yeah, it's been pretty brutal for that film. Um, But uh, yeah, uh, so those are the movies you saw, or at least uh, some of the highlights at TIFF. Find more of Matt Singer's coverage of the Toronto International Film Festival at ScreenCrush.com. And also uh, a bunch of people uh, wrote up some reviews at SlashFilm.com as well. Um, So would recommend you check those out too. Uh, Devinder Hardwar, you had a chance to see Oliver Stone's new film, Snowden. I had. Yeah. Uh, and I think you also talked to Oliver Stone as well, right? I did briefly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He was here at the uh, the Brooklyn uh, Public Library doing a screening. Uh, I think this is the, kind of the first time the library has started doing screenings too, because it was in a tiny room. But uh, I, I'm supporting the library. Hopefully, like they can like get more events like this going. So but, you and I, uh, you and I yeah. were both fans of Citizen Four. Right, which yeah. is the mm-hmm. Laura Poitras uh, documentary about yeah. Edward Snowden. One of the best documentaries in recent years. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it, it. I mean, it's so fascinating because of all the events unfolding around it. Like, I remember watching on The Guardian mm-hmm. uh, website that interview with Edward Snowden uh, for the very first time. And the documentary basically shows you everything that led up to and happened after that, that interview. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so totally fascinating. And so my question for you when I saw this movie Snowden would, would come out is like, does this movie uh, add more to this idea of Edward Snowden than Citizen Four does? Like, does it do mm-hmm. stuff that Citizen Four didn't or couldn't do? Well, yeah. I mean, this is so. This is a dramatic movie with Joseph Gordon-Levitt playing Snowden, and uh, Citizen Four was all about like the lead-up and uh, after, immediate aftermath of the release of all of those files, and kind of the media hype around that. But we didn't really get to know who he was as a person, um, and that's uh, I think more of that's been revealed like in coverage about him and in interviews over the past few years. But I think this movie does a decent job of just like portraying this guy who, um, you know, kind of started out that after 9-11 really wanted to serve his country, tried to join the Army Reserve, was just not strong enough for that. So he moved into, like, uh, cyber intelligence type stuff. And it's interesting to see a guy who is, you know, pretty patriotic, maybe politically independent, but also conservative at the same time, kind of just witness different things. Um, so it's it, it kind of... It's about uh, his post-college life, like joining the army and kind of what led him to release all of those files. And there's one sequence that this movie does that isn't even mentioned in Citizen Four um, where uh, – what's his name? Uh, lead actor in uh, Justified. Uh, Timothy Oliphant? Timothy Oliphant, yeah. Timothy Oliphant appears in this movie uh, as a CIA agent while Snowden is in Geneva and Snowden really wants to do some sort of like field operations, so he they're working to get this banker uh, kind of on the CIA's informant list, and they do that by purposefully getting him drunk, then getting him arrested, and then like you know using that as leverage to kind of bring him on. This is something that really happened, and Snowden talked about it in an interview a couple of years ago, but it wasn't in Citizen Four. So we get you know little brief glimpses of this, like how did this experience of seeing you know the dirty levels of what. American intelligence will do to get their information. How did that shape him? 
And, you know, as a dramatic piece, it's kind of interesting. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is very good. Uh, supporting cast, not as good. Shailene Woodley plays uh, his girlfriend. And uh, the movie just kind of portrays her as almost a manic pixie dream girl. Like, she is just like this free spirit who is trying to kind of open him up a little. Uh, Nicolas Cage is in this movie. Um <laughs> I don't know why, because it's, it's uh, everyone's trying to make a serious, you know, Oliver Stone movie, and then you cut to Nicolas Cage, and he's just <laughs> caging it up, basically. So that's really baffling and weird. Um, and he sort of plays this uh, composite character of uh, American officials who tried to fix issues that they saw going on, like privacy violations, and who were punished for it. So he's kind of like in the uh, in the basement of uh, where Snowden was going to school. So there are a lot of things that I, this movie is just so weird and old fashioned. It feels like a traditional biopic, um, but it, there are some great sequences. I don't. I, I think the best value of this film is that it'll remind people that hey, by the way, this thing happened. Uh, your government is still spying on you in some ways, and you know this. What this guy did is a big deal. Let's not just pretend like just because you're not doing anything. Uh, that you have no reason to worry about, you know, invasions of privacy. So on that level, I'm glad that, you know, this is a wide release film that hopefully some people will see. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty straightforward biopic. It's crazy how uh, quickly he was able to get this film made after the yes. events. I mean, Citizen Four came out in 2014. Yeah. Um, so it's not been very long since it's the whole three Snowden. years since yeah. Snowden leaked to the information. Yeah. It's that taken is, Oliver Stone a while. That is really quick to make a it's film. It's insane. I mean, we're seeing this a lot too. Like with uh, zero dark 30, we're seeing films that kind of reflect on very, very recent history. And I think, uh, if you talk to, you know, people who study history, kind of the, the key is time yeah. to absorb and reflect on what happened. And, 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 and revelations yeah. that come out after the fact, you know, and, and things that you didn't know. Why. Like, it just, it just feels like not enough time to get a yes. satisfying portrait. Um, although it is in the news, you know, uh, what was fascinating, I saw the Washington Post published uh, yesterday uh, a editorial from the editorial board uh, mm-hmm. entitled No Pardon for Edward Snowden. It is... An editorial advocating against pardoning Edward Snowden, which is fascinating because the yep. Washington Post won the Pulitzer Prize in 2014, yep. partially due to Edward Snowden's uh, revelations. <laughs> so that strange. is like a pretty bizarre way to uh, think about Edward Snowden, given that you, you know, yes. in some way profited off. Uh, and I think Oliver, Sto- Oliver Stone is very clear about his position. Like he really wants, uh, he had Snowden's participation. Uh, in some direct ways, as you'll see in the movie, um, like yeah, the, his his like view of this whole thing is pretty clear. And they also announced a uh, position, uh, or sorry, a petition this week to try to get uh, President Obama to pardon him too. And it all kind of ties into the movie. So this is a big publicity push, really, for Snowden. Yeah, but uh, our government has been pushing back against yes. the film as well. Uh, the you have people saying, like, seriously, that he should be hanged for what he did. You know, that yeah. was you know when this first happened. So Law- lawmakers uh, yeah. issued a three-page summary of a classified investigation they did. They sent a letter to President Obama urging him not to pardon Snowden. Uh, and they did it very recently, like in the last week or two, uh, presumably to counteract the sympathetic mm-hmm. portrait that the film uh, gives of Snowden. So, for sure. Yeah, so for it's crazy times with Snowden. Uh, but is this a must-see Devendra or is this kind of like I, let's watch I mean, it on VOD? I think it's something probably not worth seeing in theaters because there aren't any big like theatrical moments. But it's a interesting biopic and I think people who – 
maybe weren't able to sit through season four or something. Like, I think this is a lot more palatable version of that story. Like it does go over some sequences. Zachary Quinto plays Glenn Greenwald. If you can imagine that, uh, <laughs> Melissa Leo plays Laura Poitras. Uh, it's, it's just like a little more dramatic, a little more like traditional, but I it hopefully will bring the story to more audiences. If, if, if My you can't biggest... stand, if you can't stand documentaries, yes, exactly. Then this is the movie about Edward Snowden for you. Yeah. And you want to see Nicolas Cage, like <laughs> spicing up your movie. This is, uh, you know, that's the movie for you. Yeah. My big, uh, I guess my biggest criticism is that it doesn't really say much about um, whistleblowers in general, right? Because uh, Chelsea Manning is going through a lot right now. She is in prison, um, I, I believe, on suicide watch at this point, too. Uh, that's been a hard situation for her. Edward Snowden at least was able to escape and you know make it to Russia, and who knows how long he'll be able to stay there. But you know he's in exile, but Chelsea Manning is in prison, and I think this movie would sort of like I don't know try to try to relate the two things because whistleblower protections are pretty much non-existent right now in America. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about non-existence, but it's it's pretty bad. It's uh, it's it, not great. You yeah. can't. Yeah, you, you you have no guarantee of your own safety. And uh, the movie does show that even the people who try to work within the system to try to fix things get punished for it. And is that a way of functioning? You know, democracy should work. That's Snowden. It's out in theaters right now. Devendra, any other things you've been watching this week? A bunch of things, because I missed last week, because um, I was just so overloaded. Last week uh, was the iPhone event and the Sony event, so I was just like kind of writing all week yeah you're just like record the show without me guys <laughs> yeah uh, i'm done which is guys, which I'm... is to your credit is something you rarely say yes um but yes. Uh, also i just didn't have time to see sully so yeah. that was that's how busy i was last week but i did get to see the first couple episodes of atlanta i'm glad to see that jeff talked about it last week this show is so good um donald glover's new thing on fx i believe um it is it's not quite it's more of like a dramedy because it is kind of a drama while also trying to be funny at times. And I think it is genuinely funny, but it's not like a laugh out loud. It's not like uh, a straight up sitcom, you know, like uh, Parks and Recreation or something. It is more on the dramatic side, but I really love what it's doing. It's also kind of funny watching the show while being in Atlanta. I think it captures part of the culture down here really well. And uh, I mean, this show and the other one I'm going to bring up, uh, Queen Sugar, also really interesting that we're finally having TV shows that kind of aren't afraid to show the black American experience, which uh, that's up until a couple of years ago. That's not something we've seen very much. You know, Empire, I think, is kind of one of the few shows to do that really well on a broadcast network scale. Too. Yeah. And, and that movie was that show is so relatable. I mean, it is super. It has, I mean, it's, it's the problems that we're all facing. Is, no, yeah. I, I, I'm being facetious. But yeah, uh, it's it's I nice mean, have to you see seen Empire, Dave. Yeah, I watched uh, most of the first season of Empire. OK, like so. that is it's it's a soap opera in a way. But the thing is, we've watched shows about uh, white very you know big celebrity families like this too the, the empire is basically the dallas of today you know sure. and it's nice to see these smaller shows happening queen sugar have you guys seen this thing yet no this is on the oprah winfrey network this right? is the own network show uh created by oprah and ava duvernay ava duvernay uh directed the first two episodes it's about a family of uh three siblings uh in louisiana they're all at different stages of their life. Their father dies, and they inherit his uh, giant uh, sugarcane farm. And it's basically about them. The show is a family drama about dealing with that grief of losing you know, the figurehead of your family, uh, trying to come to terms with your siblings and all the issues they're dealing with, and also you know, trying to, I don't know, build this thing that has been your family's, you know, kind of your birthright in a way for a while. Um, it is so good. 
It is shockingly good. Like the dra- the level of drama Ava DuVernay manages to capture in the first two episodes is just it's astounding. Like um it basically follows people at different points in their lives. So one of the sisters is a uh, manager, like a big time manager for her basketball player husband. She's in LA. She's very rich, leading a very different life than her siblings. Uh, her brother is kind of scraping to get by recently out of prison. And the sister played by Rutina Wesley from True Blood, who's fantastic. Um, she is a reporter around new Orleans, I believe. So she's kind of a more middle-class type person. Uh, but seeing them kind of clash, kind of deal with their family problems, it's just fascinating. And this show is beautiful. It's also quiet in a way that a lot of TV shows you don't really see in broadcast TV shows. It reminds me of Rectify, which is another show I think you'd really like, Dave. Uh, but these southern dramas just have a very different tempo than most other stories that we're used to. It's slower. It's a, it, it makes you kind of contemplate things a little more. So just want to say this show is fantastic. If you can get access to it, if you have own, I think you can stream it uh, on your cable service at this point. Um, but I'm just buying it on iTunes, and it's totally worth it if you liked what Ava DuVernay did with Selma and uh, you know her other work too. So that's Queen Sugar and Atlanta. Matt Singer, you've been watching any TV these days? Do you have any time for that? Uh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> nice. With the baby and all. The one thing that I'm watching very slowly is my wife and I are watching The Sopranos, which she had oh. never seen. I I had seen when it was on the first that's time. That's a good family rewatch. Yeah. It's yeah. it's amazing. I <laughs> Make mean, sure I you watch it with your kid. I think that's... Uh, yes. We do that Yeah, after she goes to bed. That's what we watch. We tend to watch <laughs> like one episode every couple of days. So it's a very slow rewatch, but... Um, God, that show holds up so good. It's That's a good way to savor the best parts of The Sopranos, but yeah, yeah, it'll become a slog later on, I'm sure. Yeah, we'll see. We're about we're in we're in season three right now, so it's mm-hmm. going well so far. Devendra, a few other things you've been watching? Uh, yeah, I saw the premiere episode of American Horror Story, uh, My Roanoke Nightmare. And have you guys heard about what's been going on here? Nope. So I I haven't followed this, and apparently. Um, the uh, Ryan Murphy has basically just kept it secret what this season of American Horror Story would be about up until the premiere, which is impressive. Like, and uh, what it ends up being—it's actually sort of, the Blair Witch. <laughs> it is actually the Blair Witch. We're very close to the Blair Witch, and it's—it's it's insane. It's kind of insane, but it also starts as like uh, it's framed as a paranormal like documentary series, uh, similar to like uh, I don't know, like um celebrity ghost stories and a couple of those things and those are shows i enjoy just because they're like silly fun uh but this one is entitled uh my roanoke nightmare it's uh, about this family who buys a farmhouse in the middle of the woods and things uh things don't go well um but what's really funny too is that uh first of all if you've seen uh american crime story this season sarah paulson and cuba gooding jr are are the starring couple in the reenactment <laughs> version of the show, but in the like documentary, you know, as the real versions of them, it's Lily Rabe and Andre Holland, also from American Horror or American Crime Story. So it's just really weird to see these actors kind of acting again in very different ways. The framing is kind of unusual too, because you have the people talking about it as if it happened to them, and then you go back and see the dramatized version. Um, they buy this uh, big house. Things start happening. There, there's like some creepy villagers that keep trying to invade, or like things. Uh, something mysterious is happening around the the farm property they're in, and uh, it does sort of evoke Blair Witch because at one point uh, the twig figures are everywhere. And I don't know if you guys have heard about the Roanoke 
thing, the disappearance yeah, of the, Ro- the Roanoke colonists. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's a weird story because like a hundred people just disappeared, um, you know, a couple hundred years ago, and we don't know what happened to them. So it's kind of that's the framing device. Like maybe they're near where they disappear and they're haunting this area or something. But I have to say, like it is, it's uh, it's very traditional horror movie stuff but i like the way it's framed i like the actors angela Bassett's in this too just being a badass uh because she can't not be uh and there are some like genuinely scary moments that i think are far more effective than the actual blair witch movie we got this week so it's really strange to me that uh i don't know if they had planned this or if this is just sort of like a wink and nod to blair witch or something but it's kind of funny to have like two sort of blair witch stories happening this week <laughs> That's American Horror Story, the new season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you also saw Hunt for Wilder People, right, Devendra? I did see that finally. Um, I mean, we talked about this a little bit, Taika Waititi's new film. Uh, this is a perfect movie. That's pretty much all <laughs> I have to say. Like, This movie is so good. I bought it on iTunes because it was it just came out this weekend. Uh, so damn good. Worth a blind buy. I loved everything about it and basically can't wait to see what he does with Thor. Um, and one more thing I want to mention um, for fans. Wait, of, hold on. Uh, that singer, did you, did you see uh, Hunt for Wilder People by any chance? I haven't seen it yet. Oh, oh well, my God. Yeah, one, of my, one of my favorite films of the year probably. So yeah. good. Yeah. 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 Really good. Yeah. One thing uh, I want to mention for fans of Black Mirror, Charlie Brooker's earlier series, Dead Set. Have you guys heard about this thing? Because this show is kind of insane. Yeah, it they is... showed it on IFC a few years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. And now, I guess, uh, yeah, more people can see it more easily. But yeah, it is uh, it is set at a fictional Big Brother series, um, and a zombie outbreak happens. So <laughs> it is a mixture of, like, reality TV commentary plus zombie outbreak. And quite honestly, this would have made season two of Unreal so much better. Uh, so it's yeah. on Netflix right now. It's only five episodes. It's basically a miniseries. Uh, check it out. And uh, you'll see a really young Riz Ahmed in it, too. Nice. That's Dead Set on Netflix and also Hunt for Wilder People. Uh, and I'm so looking forward to the new Black Mirror series on Netflix, yes. which is, yes. uh, has an episode directed by a friend of the show, Dan Trachtenberg, I believe. So yes. going to be really awesome to see that. All right. Uh, that's what we've been watching this week. Uh, unfortunately, we are recording this before the Emmys, so we will not be able to talk about who won at the Emmys, but uh, maybe we'll have a little bit of talk about that on next week's episode. Uh, I might do some live broadcasting during uh, Emmys as well to discuss results. But uh, let's move on to our review. Before we get to that, we got to thank all the people that donated it to the Slash Homecast. Thanks to Nicholas K. from Seattle, Washington, my friend, Par L. from Sweden, Marnie P. from Los Angeles, Cooper Coons, and Andy Heisman for your generous donations this month. Thanks also to new subscribers, Tony Santiago, Glenn Harvey, Joel Epps, and Doug Schumer. Uh, if you'd like to help us defray the cost of putting on the show, seeing movies, go to SlashFilm.com, click on the Slash Filmcast tab, use the PayPal links to donate a set amount, or subscribe at the rate of $2 per month. We really appreciate everyone who donates to the Slash Filmcast every week. Thanks so much, guys. Let's get to our review right now of Blair Witch. What is that? The guy who uploaded this video said it was from a tape he found in the Black Hills woods. I think that might be my sister. You really think your sister could still be out there after all these years? If there is any chance that I could find out what happened to her, I need to try. Legend said there's been a curse on these woods. Do you believe in the stories about the Blair Witch? in a circle. No way. 
That was from the trailer of Blair Witch, the newest film by director Adam Wingard and writer Simon Barrett. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. After discovering a video showing what he believes to be his sister's experiences in the demonic woods of the Blair Witch, James and a group of friends head to the forest in search of his lost sibling. Joining us today for a review of Blair Witch is Matt Singer, editor-in-chief at ScreenCrush.com. Matt Singer, uh, were you a fan of the original Blair Witch? And uh, what were you expecting when you went to see this new film? I was uh, definitely a big fan of the Blair Witch. I remember, I remember first reading about it out of Sundance, where it got such an incredible reception. That was really at the height of my movie nerd fandom i guess cuz i was in i was in college i was just starting to write reviews very very badly but i was trying and uh yeah i i was i remember anticipating it and loving all of the stuff with the you know the marketing for the movie the website this movie had a website that was a big deal in <laughs> right. 1999 it was a spooky website too yeah it was yeah. an incredible website where they had faked all the you know fake news reports and articles and they really did a good job of of creating this world around the movie. I mean, people really bought it. I met people. I have this story I love to tell where I got yelled at by someone who <laughs> was completely convinced that the Blair Witch Project was real and would not hear me when I told them that it was fake. I've told this story before. I doubt I told it on your podcast, but like I was working in a comic book store and I was. it was right after they, they – because they not only had the movie, they had this – sci-fi channel movie called The Curse of the Blair Witch, which right. was yeah, like yeah. which was all about the mythology and it never it never broke the fourth wall, it never let on that it was fake. And so it was the night the day after it aired on Sci-Fi Channel, I was working at the comic book store, me and another clerk were talking about it, and this woman came up to pay and overheard us and she was like, Oh, I heard about that. That movie is crazy. Can you believe they're releasing it? They those filmmakers should be arrested. And I was like, Well, I mean, it's <laughs> it's not real. It's very clever, but it, it, you know, it's it's a work of fiction. It's not just like, no, it's real. And I, ma'am, I'm s I I'm sorry, it's it's a fictional film. And she's like, No, I know. I'm a teacher. Then got very upset so she was a yeah. teacher so that's was, pretty that, hardcore that's pretty hardcore. Yeah. the blair witch project yeah the blair witch project was an extraordinary film it was made for around twenty thousand dollars uh and then later after it was acquired they spent some more money on some post-production and, and that kind of stuff uh taking the total up to around fifty sixty thousand dollars it made over 240 million dollars worldwide uh, and in addition to reviving uh, the found footage genre, helped to spawn uh, a whole generation of internet marketing, ARGs, you know, that kind of stuff that now we can't seem to get away from in uh, our modern day era of movie going. Thanks a lot. Uh, thanks a lot, Blair Witch Project. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I was watching that movie. I watched that movie around the tail end of the hype where uh, I had, like, when I first heard about it, it's. The, the context under which I heard about it was this movie, The Blair Witch Project, is real. Uh, and then uh, over time, it became clear that that was not true. And I watched it in the theater you know, right around when that, that wrapped up. And uh, I did not find it to be particularly scary or, uh, or, or particularly well-made, but it does have a really effective ending for a found footage movie. Yeah. Um, so, Devendra, before we dive into uh, this new Blair Witch film, uh, any thoughts on Blair Witch Project you want to share? 
I mean, not really. I was uh, I was in high school at the time when all that was going down. It was a really interesting cultural phenomenon. That's yeah. what I remember the most about it. The the film itself, like I haven't really revisited it yeah. much. I think I didn't even see it in theaters. I think I saw it on like video or something. But actually, which works a bit better with the way the footage is presented. Um, but yeah, it's it's more of like an interesting cultural anomaly for me yeah, than, than like a, than like great, a great film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so the new Blair Witch film, directed by Adam Wingard and written by Simon Barrett, uh, who have partnered on a number of projects that I've been a huge fan of. I've I've loved pretty much every single thing Adam Wingard has made sure. until this point. And uh, <laughs> spoiler yeah. alert. So so uh, this new film takes place uh, uh, twenty years. After the first film, it is what I would describe as a requel or potentially a reboot. You know, I mean, it is it, a straight up sequel too. Like, well, when I say when I say requel, sequel. I mean yeah. like it pretends that the other sequel, right, right. Book of Shadows, didn't exist, right? So it's another, <laughs> sure, sure. it's another attempt at uh, doing a sequel for the film. So, uh, but what's also interesting about it is that it uh, you don't even need to really have seen the first film for this movie to work, in my opinion. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think you just uh, need to know the the idea of the yeah, first just film, roughly. Really. You don't. I don't even yeah. think you need to know that. You just roughly need to have some sense of it, yeah. and you'll be fine. Like you could go into this movie completely cold and still enjoy it as much as you would, you know. Uh, or roughly as much as you would if you if you knew the Blair Witch Project. So I like that it stands alone. Uh, but uh, Matt Singer, you know, uh, what did you think of this new Blair Witch? This mo- movie kind of updates the technology of the original film. They shot with like VHS or whatever camera, like mini uh, DV on the first film, and now they have. Uh, head-mounted Bluetooth cameras, which I don't believe actually exist. Yeah. They have drones. They have all this crazy stuff in the new film. Uh, and so th- there's all this kind of new technology, and there's more people in the woods this time. So they're kind of mixing up the formula a little bit. Did you feel like this uh, was a worthy sequel to uh, The Blair Witch Project? Uh, no, I did not. And actually, you didn't really – when you were talking just now, I, you didn't – I kind of didn't chime in. But I almost feel like you might like this movie better if you – don't know the original if you don't have it to compare to because um this is going to sound like meaner than i wanted to but it's like i almost feel like uh like this is a almost like a more disrespectful sequel in a way than (laughs) book of shadows was. wow okay just because because book of shadows didn't try to recreate the the found footage gimmick you know what i mean like it just it was just a total mess it was a cash and it it really had very little to do with the original movie this one you know with all of the not only the sort of the way that they made it in terms of trying to recreate update the found footage side of it also all of the stuff where it was supposedly made under a different title and then they unveiled that it was really the a Blair Witch sequel at at Comic-Con just trying to kind of in in its own way recreate the mm-hmm. the sort of the excitement around it the the sort of mystery around it and also kind of ape the 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 aesthetic side of it to try to make it a found footage movie in in 2016 and i just found that it was just so stupid and kind of very – just a very generic found footage horror movie. Like it, it, you're saying if it was a just a regular found footage mo- horror movie called The Woods, it would be less offensive to you than the fact that it uh, appropriated the name of one of the most right. iconic horror films of all time. Exactly right. right. Yeah. Exactly right. And and the other thing about Blair Witch, I know you guys were saying you don't really think of it as a great film, and that's totally fine. But I would say what it does really well is it actually – it is 
you can buy that it is a real movie. Like, yeah, obviously, yeah. it's not. But it's not. It's looking back at it now. It's not hard to believe that some people bought into it because it has a sort of formal rigor that a lot of found footage movies, including this new one, do not have. Where the the first one. I, you know, I get why people didn't find it – certain people didn't find it scary. I think it's pretty scary. But, you know, there's no sort of overt supernatural scares and even – I guess maybe the end is. Maybe there's one or two moments, but it is very believable and it has a sort of formal rigor. Like he keep using that word, but that's – you know, like it, Well, in it the sense that there's – you could completely 100 percent believe – that everything you're seeing is real. That it actually yeah, happened yeah. in and the real no world. There's no magical. There's no magical camera angles. The 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 the, the, the filmmakers, the characters, the actors uh, are pl- who are playing. They're you know they're shooting this stuff. They didn't like if you read about how they made it. They didn't. They would show up to a location, not yeah. really know what they were going to film. They would have these sort of very small directions from the filmmakers, and then they would improvise it. So it has that very naturalistic feel. Yeah, there was no script. They would go and, yes, yeah, find right. these directions written down, and then right. no one else would know, like, what the other people's directions were. Right. And then they would have to just, like, improvise the scene. Like, okay, in this scene, you're really pissed that so-and-so lost the map. You know, like, that's what they would have to do. And so uh, it is very ingenious, a lot of things about – how that movie was made for sure right and there is absolutely no way anyone in any situation would confuse this new movie with anything resembling reality even before <laughs> it even before it gets to the overt supernatural stuff which is the last half hour of this movie is just absolutely crazy um just the beginning of it and then you 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 know you mentioned already the fact that they have these ridiculous um you know what are they called uh, the bluetooth headset cameras those which, cameras you know, do exist but not like to the level of quality that is in this movie and where, and where people like they never shake they never move like yeah, people are yeah. shaking their heads and the cameras stay steady and you're just if you're paying attention you're going you know this just doesn't it doesn't feel real so i do think it has a few moments that are effectively spooky and lots of jump scares and all that but to me it was just like I, like you said, Dave, I really like these filmmakers. I think they're just—I think they're much—they're capable of much more than this. And I, I was—I was pretty disappointed by this movie. Yeah, uh, I think that's a fair reaction. And I, I love these filmmakers too, man. Adam Wingard. Mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed his last uh, few films. Uh, I'm thinking about the guest. You know, not everyone loved the guest. I love the guest. Uh, his VHS segments. Uh, your next, your next yeah. freaking awesome movie. You know, I, I'm a huge fan of Adam Wingard. So like. I, I, like nothing we say during this review should be meant to should should be interpreted in such a way that we don't think Adam Wingard is incredibly talented. That being said, Devinder Hardwar, your thoughts on Blair Witch? Yeah, um, not uh, not pleased by it. Uh, it. This is such a great premise, like trying to take over the story and trying to revisit it in a way. And the idea of doing it now with uh, today's video technology. Uh, is genuinely interesting. And this movie just completely drops the ball in every respect, right? It doesn't really do anything interesting. Like, there are a handful of great sequences. But, uh, I mean, one one small thing, like, there's a drone that's a big part of their kit. And these guys apparently have, like, an unlimited budget, which also kind of differentiates them from the uh, the people in the original movie where it just felt like they had a camera. They didn't really know what they were doing. These people are prepared. They kind of know how all this tech works. It's a new group really of different. documentary filmmakers, you're saying. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Uh, but the drone thing, that was one of the things that just super annoyed me. It's like, why 
why even bring that into the picture <laughs> if you're not going to do something cool or interesting with it? And, uh, just think about it. The idea of doing like a spooky or some sort of creepy shot from drone a drone yeah. angle, you know, 100 feet in the air, nothing. Absolutely nothing. I think that just speaks to... I don't know. It's a, this movie just feels creatively empty. It just repeats yeah. the beats of the first movie. Yeah. Um, the only interesting thing is some of the stuff that happens at the end. And yeah, uh, even we'll, then, it's just not that great. We'll talk about that very shortly. But uh, yeah, I, I basically agree with you, Devendra. I, I mean, hearing the interviews with uh, Adam Wingard before, he was talking about how, oh, this, you know, we people have GPS now. There's new technologies. Right, right. Da, 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 da. And I was like, oh, man, wow. Blair Witch reinvented for the modern age. This should be really interesting. Nope, not really like the, aside from the fidelity uh at which some of the images are captured mm-hmm. there's nothing really here that makes interesting use of technology there, there, i mean there's nuggets of it that we can talk about in spoilers but uh davindra was talking about like the drone i mean i think if you watch a movie like unfriended which is not a movie i really right, liked right. but at least that movie i feel like has a better handle on how to make uh modern technology uh, and it's and modern technology's limitations into something very frightening. Uh, that's a much that's a much better movie mm-hmm. than this. Really, I, like I, I wasn't a huge yeah. fan of that movie, but there were some really creepy moments in it that I I, I enjoyed. And and it gets the premise- a little silly at the end, but I think that like you're saying, I'm agreeing completely with what you're saying. It is a much more interesting about modern technology than than this Blair Witch. Is. Yeah, and and like uh, as we spoke about earlier, it is uh, somewhat believable in the sense that the whole movie takes place on a computer screen. Uh, and you, it's theoretically possible for all that stuff to happen, or, or most of it to happen. Right, right. At least, I don't know. Maybe until um, towards the end. Till well, towards like, the end. Maybe, first, maybe I'm like, misremembering. The first but, hour of that movie. Again, it has like a formal kind of rigor to yeah, it, and it uh, follows its own rules pretty much until the end. But I, I bring that up because uh, there are so many elements of this film that shattered the fourth wall for me. Yeah. Uh, like specifically the the Bluetooth cameras, which I was just thinking, those just look like Bluetooth headsets, and uh, it looks like <laughs> right. you, you just put Bluetooth headsets on. And I know, like I personally know for a fact, Bluetooth headsets cannot record at that level of quality uh, mm-hmm. because th- those headsets had a better quality than the handheld camcorder. That that yes. uh, other dude yes. that they met up the DV camcorder yeah the DV Which camcorder is supposed to uh, meant to evoke I, I assume yeah. the original movie right but yeah. it just didn't make sense to me that this handheld thing even if it was old would be right. worse quality than this tiny thing that they have with like apparently unlimited battery life okay even if you can get past that like <laughs> let's say you buy that so it took me you know fifteen twenty minutes I'm like okay this is really unbelievable but I'm gonna just swallow this and look let's keep going. Uh, there, the the sound design in this movie is very aggressive. It is. Yeah. I did not know that Bluetooth cameras could record in Dolby 5.1. That's the most uh, scary thing about this movie is the sound geez. design. Yeah, and the sound design is very good, but it just I felt like man, there's I just can't. I can barely believe the Bluetooth camera thing. I just yeah. can't believe that the sound would be like this. You know, captured on these kinds of cameras. Well, not like not even like the the accuracy of how they're doing the sound, but I think the uh, this movie isn't just jump scares, right? It doesn't just use them sparingly. It is all over the place. Like they they could be having a conversation with somebody, a normal conversation, and then cut back to talking to that person, and all of a sudden it's a jump scare. No, I you were just <laughs> talking to them. There's yeah, nothing yeah, scary about people, it. People people are constantly. Hey, how's it going? What's going on over here? It's like that episode. <laughs> You want to see my new chainsaw and hockey mask? Like, well, that's literally what this that happens at least like five times in yes. this movie. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
innocently to the point where I think towards the end of the movie, doesn't someone say, stop doing that? Yes. Like one of the yes. characters actually acknowledges that they are really just really being shameless about it. I'm not going to pretend to be some uh, technology expert uh, who knows the, uh, you know, the, the limits of uh, Bluetooth headset, uh, you know, camera technology. To me, the bigger problem was more that, like you, you were saying, I think, Dave, that they set up all these interesting gadgets that should create interesting situations, and then mm-hmm. they never, they never do anything with them. Like the the headsets, they say like, oh well, we'll be able to follow one another. They all have GPS as long as they're on, as long as they're recording, we can always find each other. Why even tell us that? Yeah. <laughs> and then I, they keep talking about GPS, GPS. I guess because their people are going to wonder, well, how do they get lost in the woods right, if, right. nowadays? Because in 1999, there was no, there's basically no mm-hmm. such thing. It was very easy to believe that these people could just get lost in the woods. But, but all that does is essentially let them have unlimited camera angles. Like they can just film everything from yeah. every angle, and the 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 you know the explanation is, well, they're wearing headsets, but they never do anything with that sort of the GPS sort of technology side of it, that basically because the woods, the witch, whatever it is, has these powers, like that essentially gets ignored. And the same thing with the drone. I completely agree. Like what an interesting gadget that should have been. What an interesting sequence that should have led to. And then it is basically just an excuse to have a character climb a tree at a very <laughs> inopportune time, at a time when no no person with it a function. It makes sense to climb a tree, yeah. yeah. There, there are a bunch of uh, red herrings in this movie. I Actually, you know, a, a lot of his previous films Specifically, I'm thinking of Your Next is a, a deconstruction of kind of home invasion movie, basically, mm-hmm. and uh, and I feel like that impulse is here, but this movie is not does not feel like it's supposed to be a deconstruction yeah. of it's the final footage. It feels like a straight, yeah. yeah, it feels like a straight reconstruction of the Blair Witch Project, and so when you have a bunch of red herrings, it just feels really weird. A couple of examples. Uh, there is a very lengthy shot that lingers on the people's cars when they arrive at the site. And then I'm thinking, oh, well, later they're going to get there. The cars are going to be gone. Never right. goes back to that shot again. <laughs> right. Right. Or the cars are going to fall out of the sky. Or- yeah, or something. Something. And so I'm like, oh, there must be a reason why you showed us that. Or, you know, as you mentioned, they talk about GPS, and then it just never really becomes a factor in the story. Uh, there is a scene at the beginning where one of the characters hands the main character, played by Callie Hernandez, a bag and says, uh, whoa, you got something really heavy in here. And then usually in a movie, when that happens, like, you find out that they're carrying something crazy that, you you know, is a, almost like a deus ex machina. Never comes up again uh just a bunch of little random things like that that i'm like huh well i wonder um how that's going to come back in an interesting way and then it just never did uh and so anyway uh, i I feel like that that is kind of part of how i felt watching Mm -hmm. the whole movie was just like i didn't know where it was going a lot of the time it didn't go where i thought it would um but we should talk about the ending before we get to that any other thoughts about this movie uh before we get to spoilers I mean, I, I do. I did like some of the cast. I think uh, is it Callie Hernandez. Callie Hernandez, like, I thought she's was, great. Was MVP in this movie. Yeah, there's, and we'll talk more about yeah. this in the ending. But there's a sequence at the end where she is just terrified. Yeah, and I believe she, that. she is great. Yeah, she's great in this movie. Um, and so, it, it, and there are actually a, a few genuinely scary moments. And I do like the fact that the movie kind of adds to the Blair Witch mythology and mm-hmm. and uh, does something mm-hmm. overall that's different than the first film, like when you take it all like holistically. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, structurally, See, I, it's very similar. I was I was pretty annoyed by a lot of the 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 mythology stuff. Mm, to me, okay. it felt very very much again pandering to a modern 
this very modern instinct to make these movies that are based on or you know inspired by their sequels of whatever it is to popular movies from 20, 30 years ago. But to, then to the way to update them, quote unquote, is to explain any sense of ambiguity in them to right, provide right. an origin story. So we make it again. And like you already said, I mean, it's almost a remake in the sense that it's so close to the structure of the original. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this time we have to explain uh, you know, why do characters stand in the corner in the original movie? Well, we're going to find that out. Yeah. And, you know, what is the story behind this, this, this witch? And, like, all the little things that they added to me, it really felt – particularly since they do very little sort of investigating of any other kind. It's not like they wander around the town the way they did mm-hmm. in the first movie talking to locals. They watch this YouTube video. The sort of ultimate revelation of what that video is, by the way, I thought was obvious from the first moment, even before they sort of tease what it could be. Um, and then there, and then they drive and they meet these uh, this other couple, and then they go in the woods, and that's it. And the rest of the movie is just yeah. basically it's like a haunted well, house, essentially. It's, uh, you know? it's it may be a statement on investigative uh, journalism today, right? You just yeah. you go somewhere and you wait for something to happen rather than. Actually, investigate. It's a commentary on how not to make a good documentary about something. <laughs> I think. Right. right. I mean, you could also argue all the stuff we've said about the technology. You could also argue, well, it's it's trying to say that we have we believe that this technology will keep us safe. We think that it's invincible right. and which would have uh, been a great thing to actually right. Yeah, they just they just the don't movie. they don't do anything with that. Right. It <laughs> that 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 sort of. Yeah, you could say that, but the movie itself doesn't really make yeah. that argument, except in the most sort of subtle, mm-hmm. nodding to way. Like that's not really what it's about. What it's about is just jump scares and you know weird, creepy, you know ghosty stuff. And mm-hmm. I think occasionally it is effective in that regard. I just like 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 we've said already. I think these the the filmmakers Wingard and Simon Barrett. I think they're really talented, and I think. I just feel like anybody could have made this movie. And if you put this yeah. movie in front of me without any background, without knowing they made it, I certainly wouldn't have guessed they did because it doesn't feel like the sort yeah. of sort of both deconstruction slash kind of updating that something like The Guest or Your Next brings where it does provide the, the scares and the thrills that you expect from that kind of movie. But it's also doing it in a way that is really smart. Like there's nothing smart about this movie. Uh, it, it, I mean – yeah, it's not clever. It's not. It doesn't do much. Well, let's let's talk about before we get to spoilers. I do want to mention the fact that this movie was concealed uh, from the public until a couple months ago. When that's pe- the best was, thing about this movie, it surprised people at Comic Con. Yeah. Uh, Matt Singer, were you at Comic Con? I forget. I was not at Comic Con. Okay, okay, gotcha. So people basically, for those who don't remember, at Comic Con, uh, you know, a bunch of people involved in this movie kept talking about this movie called The Woods that they're making. Like, hey, we're working on this movie called The Woods. It's going to be awesome. So they go in to see this movie called The Woods. Like all the posters, everything on the wall says The Woods. They go in to see the movie. Was the trailer for the movie uh, for The Woods? Yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. And uh, they the want scariest movie, one of the scariest <laughs> movies ever made. Said the trailer, right? Uh, and they go and see the movie, and then like, uh, firstly, I- I'm jealous of the people that had that experience where you go in to see the movie because <laughs> if you start this movie, it's not immediately obvious that it's a sequel to the Blair Witch Project. So I, I would have loved to like have that 
revelation, you know, where like you realize that you're watching a Blair Witch Project sequel, that would have been a really cool feeling. They should um, they should have just like let it let the title card come up without even announcing the title change, you know. <laughs> just let everybody freak out during the movie. Yeah, and then when people came out of the theater, uh, apparently like all the posters were changed to Blair Witch or, or Blair Witch and uh, it was like a really interesting kind of viral marketing experience. That, that's the only way to market like I guess do like mysterious marketing today is just completely change the actual you know proposed marketing rather than do something organic i guess um it's a really it's a really cool stunt yeah it's very clever i think the problem is it only really works for that 200 people that were in the audience you know what i mean like i agree i bet i'm not surprised that the people who saw it at comic-con flipped out for it well well, beyond that beyond that matt beyond just you know it being a, a cool stunt for the 200 people uh they they kept it out of public eye because I think they didn't want the movie to be overtaken by uh, the hype that uh, – I hate to compare your sites and Slash Holmes, uh, Matt Singer, but the hype <laughs> cycle that sites like yours and mine helped to generate, right? That there, If there, sure. we knew that they were making a Blair Witch sequel, we'd be like deconstructing the casting choices and like, oh, are they right. doing found right. footage or not? And they just wanted to avoid all of that and uh, I think – uh, to a large extent, it worked in the sense that like we, we didn't really have that many expectations going into the film. Uh, and I liked that, and I appreciated that they did it. Um, I'm going to quote also from this interview that uh, slash film, ex-slash-film writer Jermaine Lucier wrote up at io9. Uh, according to Simon Barrett, let's be totally blunt. If there was never another sequel to the Blair Witch Project, he's referring to Book of Shadows, there would have been a different conversation. But there was a sequel, and it went in a very different direction than the original. So for me, it was a cool opportunity to do something different and new. In some ways, not necessarily to get the franchise back on track, but take it in a new direction. Uh, end quote. I, I think- don't really, I don't really feel that from the actual movie. To you that it really I, took it in a yeah, different I, direction. I, I agree that like that maybe their reach exceeded their grasp, but I think what they're saying, and, and I kind of like the sentiment, is um, if there was if there wasn't a failed sequel, that they would have maybe felt uh, that like it would have been much more pressure what, what this movie was, and it would have felt like uh, maybe more of a cash grab than it currently feels. Whereas like now it feels like it comes from a place of artistic purity because they're trying to restore this franchise to its former glory or whatever. Uh, anyway, it's a, it's an interview worth reading. I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes, but I just think the whole uh, story behind how this movie was concealed and, and how it was eventually released, I thought was, uh, was kind of interesting, but um, it is interesting. I feel like now that I've seen Blair, Witch, I would much rather see, the Woods, like the the Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett movie that's sort of inspired by movies like Blair Witch Project, right. but is able to bring the level of sophistication and deconstruction and intelligence that they usually bring to these sorts of things. Because all of their movies definitely feel like other movies, um, but they're allowed, because they're not straight remakes or sequels, they're allowed to you know, play around with the ideas, whereas this really just feels like a, a rehash with just – with almost like just a less pure rehash too, because it's so full of ah, watch out! There's uh, somebody just jumped out from behind a bush, and they're really dirty. Ah, so uh, it sounds like we're talking a lot about like Ghostbusters uh, answer the call, like the new one. It feels like mm-hmm. honestly, or even the Force Awakens. Like it's we're seeing this a lot with some reboots. Well, uh, yeah, but also just the fact that uh, I felt like the new Ghostbusters. 
uh, felt the need to explain a lot of origin stuff that uh, was just not necessary, like the origin right. of the logo, you know, right. and that kind of stuff, where this movie also dives deeper into the Blair Witch uh, mythology. Anyway, let's get to uh, spoilers for Blair Witch starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. All right, guys. Let's talk about the ending. So, Matt Singer, in your genius... You recognize what was going on in this film immediately. Uh, so when they show the opening YouTube clip, I legitimately thought that, like, hey, maybe that's like a recreation of something from the first film. Mm-hmm. I went back and rewatched uh, the original Blair Witch Project, and they're, they're nothing alike. Firstly, uh, the ending sequence takes place in, like, black and white in the original Blair Witch, right. and the, uh, the YouTube video is in color. Uh, right. But, yeah, I, I mean – they're they're only similar in the fact that they take place in a house that has all these scary handprints on the wall and looks kind of the same. Yeah. Um, but uh, I thought it would have been cooler if they had actually like used footage from the first film and retconned it somehow to make it yeah. look like it was uh, from the first film, but in fact had like a new clip that was recognizably from the new film. Right. Um, but they didn't do it that way. So. Yeah. That actually. I, that was kind of the other thought when uh, towards the end of the movie i was like oh are they going to somehow insert these people into the original movie or almost make them the people who killed the original characters and like uh, a i don't know maybe that would have been actually more interesting in a way but that doesn't Mm -hmm. that never that never quite happens it's It's, more it's just because it would because yeah it would have made no sense and also i I mean i would have i agree with you it would have been really cool if they'd done something like that but yeah it would have made no sense and all is a is a time travel boondoggle, and the character, the guy, <laughs> is completely convinced his his sister is still alive twenty years later in this for this no reason. House. Yeah. So why not? Why not go the full, the full go all the way with it and have have him time travel back to yeah yeah. yeah. I, I think it's because they they shot the whole movie in color. They probably wanted to shoot the ending color, and it would yeah. have been they didn't want to make that transition from color to black and white. Um, but one of the biggest issues with this film. Uh, for me, to, like the biggest obstacle for me to like this movie is uh, the characters make really stupid decisions and all the time. So think yeah. about it like this: you are uh, a person whose foot is infected with something that, like, who knows what it is. <laughs> uh, you're running for your life, and you're like, "Hey, it's pitch black outside. <laughs> there's there's no daytime. I need to get this drone right now." <laughs> I mean, drones don't do don't work very well at night, especially if you're in the middle of the woods, because you can't freaking see anything, guys. Right. Um, so why would she feel the need to go at that moment to get the well, drone? Well, this is after she ran away from her party, too, which, uh, you know, is death in a scary <laughs> forest. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would have uh, liked if they had subverted the, uh, the whole the black people die before the end yep. of the film trope yep. that happens in... And the black guy does die first, Yes, too, in every so, single yeah. horror film. But, you know... Whatevs, fine. But then for uh, the black woman in this film to do such stupid things, it just felt um, very yeah. disappointing. To be fair, Dave, everybody was stupid. Every, yeah. yeah, right. I was going to say there's there they're very there's a diverse mix of stupidity on screen in this <laughs> yes. film. It's and a, and yeah, I should not just call them the the black people. They are played by Brandon Scott and Corbin Reed. Uh, <laughs> but yes, everyone is really stupid in this movie. And uh, I think the the big point where I couldn't get past was. 
when the uh, guy whose sister, right, he thinks his sister is in the house, and he's like, I got to go in there. And she's like, no, trust me, that's not her. And he Look says – Look at that murder, flashing murder house. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. He's like, I got to go in there. And I'm I like – I got to go in here, guys. Why? why? I mean, on the one hand, they do need but some then, And then she goes in. <laughs> well, she was yeah. forced to, right? I think she was kind of pushed in there or something. Well, she, I mean, I, it, it was really stormy and rainy outside. Yeah, but, um, sure. Uh, one of the issues – another issue of this movie that I think was pointed out in the LA Times was, when I read the review of, of this film was – how in the first movie, uh, those people do not feel like actors. And that is a yeah. good or a bad thing. Like, be, yeah. you might be annoyed that they don't seem like talented actors. Um, this movie, I thought the performances were kind of borderline actory. Uh, it, it kind of was the uncanny valley of actors in the sense mm-hmm. that I, I definitely knew they were <laughs> actors, but I didn't feel like their performances were naturalistic enough for me to really get lost in the world. Um, and so. Uh, particularly Wes Robinson's performance as Lane, I didn't think was yeah. uh, was very convincing. I don't think he's a bad actor. I just think this particular performance, uh, you know, like you said, he, Matt, he's he's coming out of the bushes like you know with mud all over him, and the acting was not in such a state that I could have actually you know believed that he might be faking it, which I think was. Was one of the th- things that could have generated tension, if that makes any yeah. sense. Yeah, I mean that's another aspect too that really feels almost like maybe not quite a red herring, but just like a missed opportunity. Where what are these two people up to, mm-hmm. and what are their ulterior motives? And um, you know, I guess that you know we they, they're the ones who first hung up all the 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 little witch, yeah. you know, the logos, the the wooden uh, Blair Witch logos all over their camp. But then they, you know, angrily dismiss them and tell them to go and go F themselves and send them away. And so the rest of the movie, when they kind of come back, there's already so much going on with all the jump scares that we never really get a, we never really know what their deal was in the Although end. Their, their reintroduction is, is, I think, one of the better scenes. They're like, what, what day is it? How many days has it been? Just right. like every time. Yeah, but Devendra, like yeah. that performance you just gave was about <laughs> this, the level of performance that was yes. in the film. You no, know what I mean? agree. I totally uh, agree. And so th- that was kind of rough. But yeah, I like the idea that two people are experiencing time at different rates. Like that's, yeah. right. that's kind of a that's, cool frightening that, that's idea. That's your bag, Dave. That's yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. This movie has so – this movie is designed for Dave Chen. Like I love found footage. Yes. I love yes. time travel, mind-bending, stuff you like love this. love talking in the third person. Yeah, you know, I love all that stuff. But oh, um, unfortunately, this movie just didn't do it for me. Let's talk yeah. briefly about the ending. Firstly, uh, Devendra, you mentioned the scene where Callie Robinson, who plays Lisa in yeah. the movie, is trapped in this tunnel. And well, th- there's that, which is she. Great. She is giving her yes. all in that and scene. You can and you see she is terrible because it's a it's a tiny opening. It's a tiny like space, scared. yeah. And and yeah. even uh, and I thought it was shot in a pretty mm-hmm. cool way. Like she she throws the camera and like the camera is pointing back at her because she needs light. So yeah, that makes and, sense. Sure. And. Uh, yeah, I mean, regardless of my negative feelings on the film overall, you just got to admire someone who's willing to just put it all on screen. Like, just she like, gives it her all. Yeah, she's yeah, just like, sure. she's burying her soul and bleeding literally in that scene. And I think and, the um, attic scene for me, because that, that was actually a deconstruction of the Blair Witch final scene. Like, what if you could see what the people are actually seeing right. as they're experiencing that final scene? So I actually thought that was kind of interesting in her performance there where she's just like freaking out because she hears, you know, her friend being tortured or whatever being killed uh and then she figures out the camera trick which is kind of that's the one clever thing in this movie (laughs) like the way to kind of move backwards and how she's terrified she is 
while she's doing that. That is great. I want to hear Matt's thoughts on that. I just want to give a shout out to another uh, scene earlier in the movie when like her boyfriend is just trying to calm her down and they're kind of face to face. And that is it. Is it even her boyfriend? I think they're just friends. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So yeah, because she has a separate tent. Her too. friend so with benefits. Yeah. That's that's a whole other yeah thing her, that her, they could have like gone into in terms of their relationship. Her friend with filmmaking benefits, but. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I I just it was it felt like a really kind of transcendent moment to me of all this crazy stuffs going on and let's just calm down and take a breath and like super up close and it felt like something that the original film couldn't do just because of the fidelity of the cameras or or the premise of the, the original Blair Witch Project and now these two people like face to face just like trying to survive in this horrifying situation I really like that moment Matt Singer moment. Uh, what do you think of the ending uh, where she's kind of has the camera turned around and is trying to see what's going on. It's fine. I mean, why did she go down that tunnel again? Why did she go in that, that giant colon? Oh, because, well, the tunnel, because uh, they, that down. guy, Lane, pushed yeah. her down the thing, and so she... Oh, right, she she put, he pushes her down, and they're already in a basement, Yeah, and then <laughs> he pushes her down, and there's a there's a tunnel, and she's like, well, might as well crawl into this tunnel, I guess. And Well, because she has nowhere else to go. And then yeah, right. uh, she stabs Lane in the throat... Which is right. Nice. She comes out of the tunnel. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was fine. I was by that point of the movie, I was I was pretty checked you, you, out because yeah. it had yeah. just become such a, a you know like a haunted house kind of <laughs> carnival freak show sideshow kind of a thing. I think it's something was, worth revisiting, like the, the the last sequence of the film. Yeah, I would say the the last yeah thirty minutes uh, is some pretty solid genre filmmaking. I don't. I think the movie that comes before it is not very effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think – Imagine the, if it just started there. That would have been <laughs> something. I, it kind of did start there. So, yeah. so yeah. time uh, time warp stuff. Uh, I mean did we find that to be like an interesting addition? The idea that like these people – this is a time loop, right? That they themselves uh, caused themselves to go into the woods, right? But they right. didn't do anything with that concept either, right. right? It's like either you play it like Groundhog's Day, right? And you do you have no explanation for it. Or in a situation like this, like it seems more, I don't know, more interesting if they kind of play around with the format a little more. At least Groundhog's Day, like he he acknowledges what's happening and he kind of plays with that too, like to to live hundreds of years or whatever. Right. I, I agree. Yeah. I agree that in the end, it just ends up being kind of a oh, here's a little like nice little yeah. twist there for you. It's so not, you guys are a week ahead. Okay, cool. It's not something that really uh, the the other thing it does is kind of expand the scope of uh, the Blair Witch's powers. You know, that like, mm-hmm. it's not just like oh, she can haunt you. It's like oh wow, she can bend the uh, the passage of time itself to like yes, make it same. so that you're always faded to go into the woods. Maybe the woods do that, and she can mimic your friends' voices. So that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I, which is true. Was, from, which is true from the kind of the first film, kind of like okay. a shout out to the yeah. first film. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it felt to me like another attempt to over explain the first movie. Like, how did they get lost in these woods? How did they? How did time? Like, because you know, we've always does, been in these woods. Right, <laughs> just the, the, right, and because because in the first film, like they also like walk in a huge circle, and they're like, they how do we get to, past yeah, right. here? Yeah. How do we get back here? I thought we blah blah blah, and right. so. which I actually think is probably very easy to do in the woods <laughs> if you don't have a GPS and you don't know what you're doing. But you know this tries to again explain it with mm-hmm. the witch the witch has powers but has again powers. It, it it doesn't it does it just does like sort of the base level of what you could do that would be interesting with that and then it also raises all sorts of strange questions with the with the fact that it is a found footage movie i guess if you just don't care about that and you just accept that it's just a stupid horror movie then it doesn't matter but if you want it to have any sort of like 
internal logic, the fact that the movie begins with, you know, this film was, what does it say, assembled from footage that was recovered in the woods uh, mm-hmm. at this date. It's like, how could anyone watch this movie? Uh, <laughs> like, in The Blair Witch Project, you could imagine that in some universe where filmmakers with no moral scruples, maybe they did could release this film, you know what I mean? Or right. show it, show it mm-hmm. uh, on college campuses uh, or something. Like, this movie, if this movie was shown as, as it is shown to us, it would end like... Like civilization as we know it, it would change the course of human history in this universe. Like it's the whole time travel part of it, like and all the crazy supernatural stuff. It just I think that's it, the sequel. That's, that's what yeah, I guess. Be about. maybe that'll be the, the book of yeah. shadows for this Blair Witch. Will be the people <laughs> losing their minds because apparently witches are real and time travel is real, and these woods are. Uh, is this the first time we actually see the Blair Witch too? Because there's we get glimpses of like an elongated monster yeah. running around, some think, kind of monster. And, I don't remember what they show in, in Blair Witch. Yeah, too. I don't think they show anything. I, or or yeah. I didn't see Blair Witch Book of Shadows, but I, they don't show anything in the Blair Witch Project. So I, think, I, I did kind of like that design. I don't remember the sequel very well, but I don't. I don't think remember they show it. anything. I do just want to return to one last thing about the GPS. Uh, there is a scene in the movie where he he says, "Oh, I've been following the GPS this whole time. It led us back to this exact same place." And I'm like, "How is this any different than using a map, which they did in the first film?" You know, like it's not it, that's the whole it, thing. exactly. It's just like the the technology does nothing really yeah. new. The, well, um, the witch controls GPS. You see, it yeah. actually haunts the global <laughs> position. She can control. G- she's yeah. very tech savvy. This witch. I, I I was actually hoping, like, I wish they would just come across a Wi-Fi hotspot in the woods because guys. <laughs> That's kind of freaky. You're in the middle of nowhere. Where where is this Wi-Fi coming from, guys? What's going on? Also, um, j- just to go back to my text, be witch. What should we drive this password? Uh, just to return to my uh, technological nitpicking, because I uh, uh, <laughs> no one cares about what I'm about to say. But hey, we're at the end of this review, so whatever. Uh, but I also thought the usage of drones was very unrealistic uh, yeah, because but- I have flown drones before and. Uh, they can go way higher than yes. what is shown in the film. So theoretically, you'd be able to get like a, a bird, like literally a bird's eye view of everything, and they could have sorted things out right there. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, the fact that they, the drone could only go like a certain height, yeah, uh, just is felt. It's like 100 feet. Or a, yeah. Basically, I hated all the technology in this movie, is what I'm saying. <laughs> like, it was all depicted incredibly unrealistically. The one interesting thing, I think, um, is the idea of having these two groups of people, both of who have cameras, right? And they're just documenting things in their own way. And there's a point, I think, where the, uh, the first girl gets hurt in the river, where they're just like taking footage of that rather than helping. Yeah. And that could have been. An interesting, I don't know, uh, commentary on commentary on yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. there, are, I think, very purposefully, there are points where you just see both of them like being really aggressive about the footage they're trying to take, and uh, yeah, the movie doesn't really say anything about that. But I found that kind of interesting to watch because that's mm. that's life today. Everybody is trying to you know get their footage. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean. The- you guys said at the very beginning of the review you weren't huge fans of the original movie, and a lot of people – you know, it was, a, it was a movie that made a ton of money, but a lot of yep. people walked out of it dissatisfied and frustrated, and they – you know, where – there was – you didn't see anything. You – where was – where was the witch? What happened? Where did these people go, and why didn't – you know, like what a – and I really genuinely feel like this movie was made for people who felt that way. 
Like yeah. it is, it is the Blair Witch movie for people who did not like the Blair Witch Project, who mm. wanted a more overt and more deliberately scary, quote unquote. Yeah, Blair and Witch. ultimately more conventional film. Much more conventional. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And I mean, uh, Matt, you brought up the idea that these remakes tend to, and re- requels tend to just over-explain uh, the mythology of their source material. But honestly, it just seems like the culture today too, right? This is, these are the YouTube videos. These are, you know, this is the mystery behind, uh, I don't know, memento explained, breaking it down for you. And it seems like that philosophy has carried over to a lot of these, uh, sequels. Uh, yeah. And I, I think that is a really pervasive element in our films these days. And, uh, it's, uh, becoming a problem. It's becoming mm-hmm. a problem because uh, uh, here in the chat room, Snows and Drivers, Black Firestorm writes, uh, this remake masquerading as a sequel thing is really starting to get old. Star Wars better not try that shit again. It worries me a bit that Adam Driver is comparing the next film script to The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> um, so we'll see whether – maybe time is a flat circle and pop culture will just continue remaking itself until the end of time uh, in overt and less overt ways. But uh, – I hope that uh, – I thought the guest – it's clearly an homage to uh, yeah. films of the 80s but managed to carve out its own space. I'm referring to Adam Wingard's uh, last film. And I hope he does more stuff like that. I'm really sad that uh, – from my understanding, I don't think he's had like a really huge breakout yeah. hit yet. And he's uh, doing I Saw the Devil next, that remake, and oh, Death yeah. Note, which is a big anime series. Um, Death Note could be interesting because that is – I don't know if you guys know anything about that series, but it's about this kid who can basically kill anybody by writing down their name in a book. And yeah. hopefully Adam Wingard can uh, can I don't know, do something interesting with that whole concept. I saw the Japanese movies of, of Death Note. There's oh, like those aren't movies. good. Those are terrible. I thought they were pretty enjoyably crazy, but um, you know, I, it's a, it, yeah. it is an interesting premise. I, I, hope, I hope that uh, he's allowed to mm-hmm. – express himself more creatively in that one yeah but he is remaking you know his next two films basically he's doing remakes rather than his original things i could see i saw the devil being a pretty interesting remake we'll see yeah as long as it goes in its own direction and not like uh not like old boy the remake (laughs) right you know i could see it being pretty cool anyway uh we wish them the best of luck uh and hopefully they didn't listen to this review in the meantime, uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought of Blair Witch or send in your slash film court dilemmas. Uh, in the meantime, Matt Singer, where can we find more of your work on the internet this week? I'm the editor-in-chief at screencrush.com, and uh, you can find all of my writing over there. My Blair Witch review is there, and you can also follow me on Twitter at Matt Singer. Yeah, and uh, I read an uh, interview with Adam Wingard that uh, Britt Hayes did. That's as right. Well as That's right. Yeah. Uh, she liked the movie a lot better than us. So She did. Uh, she liked it better than we did. But, uh, yeah, she's allowed. Uh, <laughs> Divinger Hardware. Oh, you can find me on Engadget.com where I write about tech. Uh, I wrote about Snowden recently there, so check that out. Uh, not a great movie, but uh, does some interesting things. And I'm on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Divindra. And uh, find all my stuff at DaveChen.me. Uh, and you can also see my film, The Primary Instinct, uh, at the South Dakota Film Festival as well as on Hulu. Uh, so check it out there. Next week, we will be reviewing The Magnificent Seven, uh, the new film starring Denzel Washington, directed by Antoine Fuqua. Uh, so Finally, an original movie. Oh. Yeah. 
<laughs> not a remake of a movie that was a remake of something. It's a re-remake. <laughs> it's a re-remake. A re-remake. <laughs> yeah, a new term. New term. All right. Thanks for listening to the Slash Film Cast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. We're out. <laughs> <laughs>